church this morning that I find more joy in working at Liberty University now than I've ever have. I've worked with some phenomenal students. Uh, you are a phenomenal group of people. This year uh, is a very unique year in Liberty University's life. It's the first year without the founder. And uh, as we are now bringing this school year toward an end, to be able to be around a student body like this that has rallied to the cause, uh, to be around staff, faculty, administration, uh, who have stepped into the gap, uh, I will tell you, there was much fear on May 16. But we move forward because there are dedicated people, Jerry Jr., Jonathan, Dr. Godwin, and on it goes down. And I want to take just a quick moment because today is Staff Appreciation Day. And all around me are setting different staff members who work here at Liberty in various offices. And if you are a staff member, would you stand and we could, could we just take a moment and show our appreciation for all the work they do here at Liberty University. A number of our staff obviously are at Thomas Road in the service there, uh, watching my uh, video. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Our Father, as we now preach, we would pray for your anointing, that what we say will uplift, encourage, and allow us to go forward with greater strength. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Life was now better. That would be the assessment of the people of Jerusalem as they took inventory of their lives. They had been through a very tough time, but life was now better. The proving point of that statement is found in Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you have your Bibles there, you may want to turn quickly. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 17, there's a statement that is being made as a group of people are now celebrating. It says, and there was very great gladness. There was very great gladness. The children of Israel in Jerusalem are enjoying a celebration. They're enjoying a time of joy that they've not known in years. The reason. Why is life now better? Life is now better because a man by the name of Nehemiah has come to town. Nehemiah has come to Jerusalem and through his actions, he will cause life to become better for the children of Israel. He will come at a time when in Nehemiah chapter 1, the people of God are described to be in, listen to my words, great distress. If you have your Bibles, go back to Nehemiah 1. The people of God are living in great distress. The gates, the wall, 
of Jerusalem has been destroyed. It's been burned with fire. It's been broken down. This wall, it's a wall for security. It's a wall for stability. It's a wall for defense. It's a wall for status. It has been broken down and it has not been rebuilt. It has not been rebuilt in over 140 years. You see, the wall of Jerusalem is destroyed when the Babylonian captivity takes place. 586, when they come in, they finally wipe out everything in Jerusalem. Now, 444 B.C., the wall of Jerusalem is still not rebuilt. Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to come to town and life will be better. This morning, I want to talk with you about a champion, an incredible champion, one of God's greatest champions you will find in the Bible, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to do four things this morning that I believe every one of you are going to need to put into practice if you are going to be a champion. Not just a champion, but a champion for Christ. Nehemiah is a leader. He is a difference maker. And that's what we want you to be. We want you to be Christian leaders. We want you to be difference makers, whether it's with a little sister, whether it's in an orphanage, whether it's in a church, whether it's a missionary, whether it's being a nurse. We want you to be a difference maker. Nehemiah is going to come to Jerusalem. In Nehemiah 1, though, we're going to find that he's really not interested in Jerusalem. Nehemiah, in chapter 1, is really having a good life. In chapter 1, verse 1, we find he's in the capital city of the Persian Empire. We find that he works for the king. He's a cupbearer. Now, one would take that word and say, well, that means he's a butler, he's a servant. No, 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 no. As a cupbearer, Nehemiah is an advisor to the king. Nehemiah gets to spend time with the king. He gets to travel with the king. He gets to enjoy the things the king enjoys. He does get to eat the food the king eats. He gets to meet the people that the king meets. He's having a really good life. A life like lot of you. It's a comfortable life. It's a life that's really not filled with stress. It's, it's a life that, that is enjoyable. Nehemiah has some people come visit him in the capital. They're brethren. They're from Jerusalem. As they come in, Nehemiah, I believe, in just being polite, he says, uh, how are things in Jerusalem? How are the people doing? Nehemiah will hear an answer that will become the turning point of his life. Nehemiah will hear a group of people say, those people in Jerusalem are living there in distress. They're living there in shame. They're living there in reproach. Their lives are miserable. And as Nehemiah hears it, like many of us, he could have simply said, well, that's too bad. You know you, how you ask someone, how you doing, and they begin to tell you, and then you go, well, I'm sorry, and then you walk on away, not really caring really how they were doing. Nehemiah, at this moment, though, hears 
that the people of God are in great distress. Their lives are not the way they should be. And Nehemiah gets a broken heart. What he heard broke his heart. And when his heart was broken, a dream was born. Nehemiah had a dream. As as he's hearing about what's happened in Jerusalem, Nehemiah begins to think, it doesn't need to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. We, We should do something about it. Have you ever heard something that broke your heart? Nehemiah is hearing something that causes him to say, this isn't right. I want to do something about it. A dream was born. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the first essential of a champion for Christ, you must have a dream. What's your dream? As we come to the end of this school year, what's your dream? What is heavy on your heart? What's the thing that's breaking your heart as you have set in convocations, as you, as you have set in church services, as you've heard people speak? What's beginning to break your heart to say, I need to get involved to make a difference? What's breaking your heart? He, uh, he was about your age. One day, he saw... He saw some men. He saw some women. He saw some boys and he saw some girls. They were in chains. They were slaves. And William Wilberforce saw the condition of slaves. And he said, this is not right. And as a young man like you, at your age, he began to dream a dream. I want to end slavery in the British Empire. He dreamed a dream. It started with a dream. He was in his home looking out a window. He saw children in the street. They were not playing. They were living in the street. They were eating in the street. They were living, sleeping in the street. And a young man your age, M.A. Thomas, in India, sees orphans all over the streets of India. And he says, this is not right. We must build homes for these orphans. And as a young man, he dreamed a dream. And I'm telling you today, millions, millions of orphans have been helped. Because this man, as a young man like you, dreamed a dream. What are you dreaming? What's on your heart today? I I use that phrase, on your heart, because in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem and he said, God had put in my heart. I I use that phrase because another man, Hezekiah, 25 years of age, is king, and he says, God Put it in my heart. David, the king, says, God has put it in my heart. What's in your heart today? While the majority of my focus today would be to speak to you students, I I speak to staff. 
I speak to faculty. I speak to administration here at Liberty University. What's your dream? What are you dreaming today as you look at this university? What are you dreaming to say, I want this to be better? It's the dream that gets us up in the morning, folks. What are you dreaming? I want to admonish every staff member. I want to admonish every faculty member. I want to admonish every administrator. Keep dreaming the dream. This place was started as a dream. In the early 60s, as a nation was moving away from God, Dr. Falwell dreamed the dream of a Christian university that would be different, distinctively Christian, to train young men and young women not to be average. But hear me, what an incredible dream to train champions for Christ. I admonish every one of us, dream dreams to train champions. Champions for Christ. What are you dreaming this morning? Nehemiah has a dream. Nehemiah finds himself saying, life needs to be better. But I got to tell you, when Nehemiah starts dreaming this dream, it may sound and seem simple. Go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's not that complicated. And sometimes we have that thought, we'll just go do something. Why don't we just go make this happen? Well, Nehemiah's got a dream to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, but it's a whole lot more complicated than it seems. You see, Nehemiah is dreaming to do something that his king has passed a law that states it can't be done. The king he works for has passed a law that says the wall of Jerusalem cannot be rebuilt. And so Nehemiah is going to have to do more than dream. And he gives us the second characteristic this morning of a true champion of Christ. It is a person who is totally dependent on God. When you come to this book of Nehemiah, you're going to find over and over that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nehemiah knew that he could not accomplish his dreams on his own. You this morning should be dreaming dreams that drive you to your knees. They're so big, so outlandish, that you go, there is no way, God, I could ever do it apart from you. And Nehemiah finds himself saying that, Lord, I can't do this. You have to change the king's heart. And he begins to pray. He begins to pray about the opportunity. He begins to talk to God about how he needs provision, how he needs for God to change this king's heart, how he's going to need material to build a wall. As God gives you your dream, begin to pray about the needs to fulfill the dream. But then, no, he also prayed about the obstacles. As he went to Jerusalem, there were people there who were not in favor of rebuilding the wall. There were things that were not ready to rebuild the wall. And he had to pray. And it says, so I prayed. So I prayed. And then Nehemiah found when he got to Jerusalem, there was opposition. And if you're going to have a God-sized dream for the glory of God, you better know you're going to have opposition. Someone said it this way. 
If you and the devil are not having a head-on collision, then you and the devil must be going the same way. When Nehemiah showed up at Jerusalem, there were people there that were very upset that he had come to help people. They didn't want him to help. And so how does Nehemiah deal with his enemies? He takes them to God in prayer. He is dependent on God. He is relying on God. How's your prayer life? How are you growing in dependence on God? I want to remind you of something this morning. When it comes to the physical life, when it comes to the human side of life, there are marks of maturity, and one of those marks of maturity is that you are learning to live life independent. Independent. You're learning how to get on your own. For you that are getting ready to graduate, you're, you're moving to a level of even more independence, not relying on your parents and not even relying even on friends and roommates here at Liberty. Independence. But a mark of spiritual maturity is that you become more dependent on God. If you're saying to me today, I'm finding myself needing less of God all the time. I'm able to handle life all by myself. You're setting yourself up for a major failure. Here's how God wants you to develop. He wants you to develop where you find yourself crying out more and more, Lord, I need you. I speak to the older faculty members, those that would be 60 and 70, those giants who've walked this campus. If you find yourself today saying, I need God more today than I did yesterday, I applaud you because you're a role model of tremendous spiritual maturity. If you're sitting here today as a freshman saying, I believe I need God more now than I did in August, I applaud you. That's spiritual maturity. God does not grow his children to become independent of him. He grows them to be dependent of him. And as you're dreaming dreams, you should be dreaming dreams that are causing you to say, oh God, I can't do it without you. Working at Liberty University, my faith has been challenged. Not in, in the wrong way, but challenged to be stretched. Dr. Falwell would come in here and he would share in convocation what he was going to do, what was next on the agenda. We would have chancellor's meetings and he would share things that he, would, he saw happening next. And as he would share them, I, I would find myself, I, I would find myself saying, God, I, I don't know how we're going to do this. And I'm going to be real honest with you. In my journey, there were times I doubted Dr. Falwell, but more uh, importantly, in my walk that's not good, I doubted God. I had moments where I just like, God, you can't do this, and you're not going to do this, and I don't believe we'll ever get through this. And I found that if I wanted to work at Liberty University, my faith had to increase. I, I was listening to a, a pastor one time, and, and he was talking about increasing your faith. And he gave a, he gave a suggestion. He gave a suggestion of taking a 3 by 5 card 
and write it on that three by five card, God is able, God is able, God is able. I took that suggestion and I can't tell you how many years now, I, I, I'll pick up an index card about once a week and I'll write on it, God is able, God is able, God is able. Because as I'm facing decisions and as I am trying to trust God, I need a reminder before my eyes, he is able. And on the back, you put a prayer promise. On this card is Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I keep this with me as I'm going through the week. As a reminder, my God is able. And you may be sitting here right now at the end of the semester wondering, I don't know how I'm going to do something. Get a card, write on it. God is able. God is able. God is able. Understand, He does the impossible. Matter of fact, He delights in doing the impossible. This morning, you're on a faith journey in which your faith should be increasing. And I hope you have a dream right now, a dream that is so great that unless God comes through for you, you're through. That's how you should be living your life. Nehemiah is dependent on God. Phrase after phrase, verse after verse, so I prayed. Nehemiah heads to Jerusalem. God has opened the door. The king has changed his mind. The, the king, he not only assigns Nehemiah, he gives him the authority, go and rebuild that wall. Nehemiah gets there. And as he gets to the wall, as he gets to Jerusalem, he sees the need. A third characteristic shows up in this champion's life. We see in Nehemiah diligence. We see in Nehemiah a man who is going to put his hand to the work and he's going to work hard. We see a man who is going to give himself to the task. He is diligent. He is responsible. He is reliable. He is diligent. Diligence. The book of Proverbs says diligence is a man's precious possession. Young ladies, when you're, when you're dating a, a young man and you're, you're thinking about maybe marrying him, one of the things you should be looking at is, is this young man diligent? Does he have the quality of diligence? He's responsible, he's reliable, he's dependable, he's faithful, diligent. Nehemiah, he's come to do a work. And in chapter 4, you find that the people had a mind to work. They were diligent. The book of Proverbs tells us a lot about how things can contrast with one another. One of the things the book of Proverbs contrasts is that of a person who is lazy and a person who is diligent. Let me, let me give you a verse. Proverbs 13, 4 says, the soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing. The soul of a, a lazy man dreams a great dream, but he has nothing. 
because he's not willing to work. He doesn't go after his dream. He doesn't apply his hand to the task. But the soul of the diligent will prosper. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the diligent will be successful. Let me be practical with you this morning. On this point, let me just be real practical with you. I want to make a statement. God never, never blesses laziness. Doesn't bless it. And I want you to hear me hear the statement. For you to get to the top, you're going to have to get off your bottom. I want you to hear me. This is Amherst County theology for Dr. Falwell. For you to get to the top, you're going to have to get off your bottom. I, uh, I worked in a meat plant before I got saved and got called to preach. Just down the road from here. Um, I, I did many things in that meat plant. Um, I carved up beef. But I, I became good at something. I became good at killing. And I was the killer. And every day I showed up for work to kill cows, to kill hogs. That was my job. I had a foreman. And that foreman, he, he didn't say a whole lot of words. He would walk on that floor and he would simply say, on and off, men, on and off. On and off. My, my first couple of days there, I didn't understand that terminology, on and off. And one of the guys said, that's short for on your feet and off your bottom. And I got the point. You didn't sit around on that uh, meat floor. You didn't sit around there just talking and goofing off. You had a job to do, and you were expected to do it. And some of you right now, you're, you're struggling because you're not understanding the necessity of hard work. Some of, you, some of you need to understand that there's a huge enemy this morning to success. It's called a snooze button. Mm-hmm. Y'all know about that snooze button, don't you? Hey, let, let me give you another verse. Proverbs 26, 14. I think, I think I'm going to talk to some of you right now. Proverbs 26, 14 says... As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man in his bed. You, uh, you, you lay there in the morning in your nice, warm bed. Oh, it's so comfortable. Oh, oh, that nice bed. And that, that alarm goes off. And you reach over there. And you hit that snooze button. And you roll over thanking God for one of the greatest inventions of the 20th century. Oh, Lord, thank you for the snooze button. There it is. And you roll over. And as you're rolling over, you're thinking to yourself, oh, you might even be singing it. Oh, how I love my bed. Mm -hmm. Love this bed. Now you're... You're back in there, and you, you, get, you snuggle in a little bit again. Ah, love my bed. Alarm goes off again. Oh, yeah. 
turn it off, and you roll back over. See, you're like a hinge on a door. You're, you're attached to the bed. Back and forth. Back and forth. And, 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 and I know some of you, I'm, I'm right where you're at. I, I know I'm in your house right now because your roommate's going, they do it every morning, and they keep that alarm clock going off over and over and over, and I'm getting tired of it. Now, now listen, you may be dreaming in your bed, but if you want your dreams to come true, you've got to get out of the bed, okay? You've you got to get out of the bed. Nehemiah in chapter 4 is diligent. Do you know it says in chapter 4 that they worked day and night. Nehemiah got to the point where he said, as I was trying to rebuild this wall, we didn't even have time to change clothes. We just had to stay at it. You want a characteristic of a champion? It is a person who is diligent. Again, I speak of Dr. Falwell. I'd have students who would come and say, I'd like to meet him, I'd like to interview him, and I'd take him to the back room, I'd take him up to his office, and they would say, Dr. Falwell, what, what was the, what's the secret of a great ministry? And he would just say, well, ultimately, while there's God and there's prayer, you better understand there's a thing called hard work. Hard work. And I'm challenging you as you work toward the end of this semester, apply yourself. Be diligent. There's one more thing about Nehemiah. As Nehemiah is at this work, this work gets hard. It's not easy. It's very difficult. And one of the, the characteristics of this great champion is his determination. Nehemiah was determined to finish the task. When he got there, there was opposition. The people who were there, who were against the Jews, fought him, resisted him. His own people, the Jewish people, they turned on each other. They complained about how hard the work was. And at any time, he could have said, you know what, I'm done. But Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 says, so we finished. He was a finisher. There was determination to finish no matter how hard the task, the dream had to be completed. And every one of you have to have a determination. You have to have an attitude of I will never give up. If God's put it in my heart, I'm not stopping. I'm not quitting. I'm not turning around. I've got to go where God has called. I've got to do what God has said. There's no backing up. Determination. 23 years, I had the privilege of working with Dr. Falwell. I heard him preach, don't quit. I heard him preach sometimes four semesters, four times in a semester, don't quit. But in 1996 and 1997, I got to watch him practice not quitting. 
In those years, students, we just about closed the doors. Two summers in a row, staff members, Dr. Borland being one of them as a faculty member, we did not get a paycheck for the month of July. There was no money. If you wanted to stay at Liberty, you just had to go without a paycheck. Lou Wider, he remembers those days. We didn't get paid. I watched Dr. Falwell start a 40-day fast. And what was interesting on that is, as we thought he was fasting for the money so we could have the school and keep it open, God wouldn't allow him to ask for the money. And so he, while he's fasting, and we're thinking he's praying for the money and fasting for the money, God's saying to him, no, fast to know me. And so for 40 days he fasted. 25 days will go by and he will fast another 40 days because now the Lord releases him to ask for the money. I watched a man practice determination to keep this school alive. He fasted 80 days out of 105. That was determination. If you want your dreams to come true, there's got to be determination, there's got to be diligence, there's got to be uh, dependence on God. And without those three ingredients, your dreams are never going to happen. I look to you this morning and I say, do you have a dream? Do you have a dream that's given the devil a nightmare? Do you have a dream this morning that's causing him to say, I don't ever want them to complete their work at liberty. I don't ever want to see them out there making a difference. Do you have a dream that's given the devil a nightmare? Are you growing in dependence on God? Are you finding yourself saying, today I need him more? That's spiritual maturity. When everything is said and done, he gets all the glory. Are you diligent? Or is there going on your resume right now, lazy, slothful? And do you have a spirit and attitude of determination? There has to be determination if the dream's going to come true. Nehemiah came to town, and the lives of the people were better. Whose lives are going to be different because of you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this student body. I thank you for the members of the, of the staff, the faculty, the administration. I pray today that this man, Nehemiah, inspires us to go forward with the dreams you placed in our heart with greater tenacity than ever. Thank you for Jerry Jr. Thank you for Jonathan. May your good hand rest upon both of them as we move forward here at Liberty University. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you.